I just wanted to read a little Christmas story this morning. It's not out of the Bible, is that okay? You may have know the story by Taylor Caldwell. It's called My Christmas Miracle. For many of us, one Christmas stands out from all the others, the one when the meaning of the day shone clearest. Although I did not guess it, my own truest Christmas began on a rainy spring day in the bleakest year of my life. Recently divorced, I was in my 20s, had no job, and was on my way downtown to go the rounds of the employment offices. I had no umbrella, for my old one had fallen apart, and I couldn't afford another one. I sat down in the streetcar, and there against the seat was a beautiful silk umbrella with a silver handle inlaid with gold and flecks of bright enamel. I had never seen anything so lovely. I examined the handle and saw a name engraved among the golden scrolls. The usual procedure would have been to turn in the umbrella to the conductor, but on impulse I decided to take it with me and find the owner myself. I got off the streetcar in a downpour and thankfully opened the umbrella to protect myself. Then I searched the telephone book for the name on the umbrella and I found it. I called and the lady answered. Yes, she said in surprise, that was her umbrella, which her parents, now dead, had given her for a birthday present. But, she added, it had been stolen from her locker at school. She was a teacher more than a year before. She was so excited that I forgot I was looking for a job, and I went directly to her small house. She took the umbrella, and her eyes filled with tears. The teacher wanted to give me a reward, but though $20 was all I had in the world, her happiness at retrieving this special possession was such that to have accepted money would have spoiled something. We talked for a while, and I must have given her my address. I don't remember. The next six months were wretched. I was able to obtain only temporary employment here and there. For a small salary, though, there, though this was what they now called the Roaring Twenties, but I put aside 25 or 50 cents when I could afford it for my little girl's Christmas presents. It took me six months to save $8. My last job ended the day before Christmas. My $30 rent was soon due, and I had $15 to my name, which Peggy and I would need for food. She was home from her covenant, uh, convent boarding school and was excited and looking forward to her gifts the next day, which I had already purchased. I had bought her, a small, bought her a small tree. We were going to decorate it that night. The stormy air was full of the sound of Christmas merriment as I walked from the streetcar to my small apartment. Bells rang and children shouted in the bitter dusk of the evening, and windows were lighted and everyone was running and laughing. But there would be no Christmas for me. I knew. No gifts. No remembrance whatsoever. As I struggled through the snowdrifts, I just about reached the lowest point in my life. Unless a miracle happened, I would be homeless in January, foodless and jobless. I had prayed steadily for weeks, and there had been no answer but this coldness and darkness, this harsh air, this abandonment. God and men had completely forgotten me. I felt old as death and as lonely. What was to become of us? I looked in my mailbox. There were only bills in it, a sheaf of them, and two white envelopes, which I was sure contained more bills. I went up three dusty flights of stairs, and I cried, shivering in my thin coat. But I made myself smile so I could greet my little daughter with the pretense of happiness. She opened the door for me and threw herself in my arms, screaming joyously and demanding that we decorate the tree immediately. Peggy was not yet six years old and had been alone all day while I worked. She had set our kitchen table for our evening meal proudly and put out pans and the three cans of food, which would be our dinner. 
For some reason, when I looked at those pans and cans, I felt brokenhearted. We would have only hamburgers for our Christmas dinner tomorrow and gelatin. I stood in the cold little kitchen, and misery overwhelmed me. For the first time in my life, I doubted the existence of God and His mercy, and the coldness in my heart was colder than ice. The doorbell rang, and Peggy ran fleetly to answer it, calling that it must be Santa Claus. Then I heard a man talking heartily to her and went to the door. He was a delivery man, and his arms were full of big parcels, and he was laughing at my child's frenzied joy in her dancing. This is a mistake, I said. But he read the name on the parcels, and they were for me. When he had gone, I could only stare at the boxes. Peggy and I sat on the floor and opened them. A huge doll, three times the size of the one I'd bought for her. Gloves and candy, a beautiful leather purse. Incredible. I looked for the name on the sender. It was the teacher. The address simply said, California, where she had moved. Our dinner that night was the most delicious I had ever eaten. I could only pray in myself, thank you, Father. I forgot I had no money for the rent and only $15 in my purse and no job. My child and I ate and laughed together in happiness. Then we decorated the little tree and marveled at it. I put Peggy to bed and set up her gifts around the tree, and a sweet peace flooded me like a benediction. I had some hope again. I could even examine the sheaf of bills without cringing. Then I opened the two white envelopes. One contained a check for $30 from a company I'd worked for briefly in the summer. And it was said, a note simply, my Christmas bonus, my rent. The other envelope was an offer of a permanent position with the government to begin two days after Christmas. I sat with the letter in my hand and the check on the table before me. And I think that that was the most joyful moment of my life up to that time. The church bells began to ring. I hurriedly looked down at my child, who was sleeping blissfully, and ran down to the street. Everywhere people were walking to the church to celebrate the birth of the Savior. People smiled at me, and I smiled back. The storm had stopped. The sky was pure and glittering with stars. The Lord is born, sang the bells to the crystal night in the laughing darkness. Someone began to sing, Come, all ye faithful. I joined in and sang with the strangers all about me. I am not alone at all, I thought. I was never alone at all. And that, of course, is the message of Christmas. We're never alone. Not when the night is darkest, not when the wind is coldest, the world seemingly most indifferent, for this is still the time that God chooses. We read these stories every year and I can never get through them. Have you ever had a Christmas like that? Difficult time, difficult year. This morning as we are the, the week before Christmas, they said earlier, it's, it's the week we talk about joy. And joy is an interesting, interesting thing to talk about at times because, we, sure, we can talk about the joy of Christmas and, and remember back maybe when we were kids and the presents under the tree and remember those things of joy, but sometimes Christmas doesn't bring any joy. Sometimes it's difficult times as this woman who wrote the story. She had experienced a really, really hard time. When Jesus came into the world, it wasn't under a great circumstance. 
joy would probably not be the, the thing that would even mark his birth because Jesus' birth to Mary came out of wedlock. Very likely there were still people glancing her way, even with the scarlet letter idea on her forehead, because she and Joseph were going to have a baby before they were married. During that time, the Jews were living under the control of the Roman government, and they decided to have a census, and so they had to travel quite a distance to go and be counted in the census. Has anyone ever traveled at nine months pregnant on the back of a donkey? <laughs> not, a, not a joyful time. And this is the setting that Jesus chose to be born in. I want to read from the, the book of Luke. And I don't want to read too much because there's some wonderful things in there. I'm going to start in chapter 1, verse 26. Luke 1, 26 says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One is to be born, will be called the Son of God. And now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it, me, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I'm going to continue to read. Now Mary arose in those days and went off to the hill country with haste to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as, indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed for there will be fulfillment in those things which were told from the Lord. And so here, Mary is, is visiting her, her cousin, and the baby that leaps in Elizabeth's womb is none other than John the Baptist. Now, I don't know if John the Baptist would have jumped for joy if he would have looked down the road 30 years. Because, see, John ends up being killed in a prison for his relationship for his proclaiming the truth. See, joy is a funny thing. It says that Mary had joy. 
John leaps for joy in the womb. And there's the moment of joy, but sometimes joy comes not in our circumstances, but what we know inside of us. See, joy isn't based only on what's happening in life. Joy needs to be based so much deeper, deeper, and then that's our deep relationship with the Christ. He gives us hope even when our circumstances are bleak. Yesterday, there was a, a death here in the valley, a woman who lost her son, and she passed away. Candy, is, some of you know, might even know Candy Clothier. We, we still don't know how she died. She just passed away. Now, it was just about a year ago that her son died. And so now the daughter, who's early 20s, in a, a year's time has lost her only brother and her mother. And where's the joy? You can think of your own circumstances. Maybe finances are tight. Maybe you've had a diagnosis of a disease or a bad prognosis in your health. Where's the joy for me? See, the joy isn't in our circumstances because even for, for Mary, her whole beginning of life, see, in, the, in this beginning, the, the next thing we find is her going off and going to, to, for the census and can't even find a room to give birth to her child. And then right away, when the baby's young, the wise men come. The wise men come to worship King Jesus, the baby Jesus. And we know the story where they come and they're looking and they find the King Herod and, and they ask, you know, where's the, where's the baby? Where's the Christ? And, and they go and they find him. But Herod wants to kill the child. And so we know that he orders the death of all of these babies under the, year, under the age of two years old. Where's the joy? In fact, Joseph, being warned by God that this is about to happen, has to take the child and his mother to Egypt to hide so that they won't die. They're not from Egypt. They're going to go live in a land that's not their own. Where's the joy? The joy has to always be found in what the Lord is speaking to us in the Lord's promises in our life. It's deeper than our situations. And God's provision is there. So you remember the story of the Magi? They came and they, they brought some gifts. What, what were the gifts that the Magi brought? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All of those gifts were costly. They weren't cheap gifts. They were gifts to give a, a king. They could be also used in other, other things. Some of the things they were actually used it were anointing, but also in burial. But these were expensive gifts. So the Magi come. They visit the child. And I believe at this point the child isn't a baby. I don't believe that the Magi came when he was in the manger. I believe that they said the Magi come to the house to bring him the gifts. Um, so I believe he's a little bit older, and they come and they present the gifts to the child Jesus. And then, being warned in a dream, they go a different way, and then Joseph gets warned in a dream to take the child to Egypt. Have you ever had to move somewhere you didn't want to go? It's no fun. It is no fun. And so they're, they're off to Egypt. We don't know how long they stay, but they go to Egypt. How did they afford that? The gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. So we believe. 
They were given costly gifts, and now they have to make haste and move to another country. How will they survive? See, God had provision for it already. Oh, wow. In the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of our tragedies, in the midst of our sorrow, God will show himself faithful in different ways. And it's that those moments that he wants to show himself faithful that we need to hold on to him. And that is the promise where joy comes in. Joy cannot rest on our circumstances. It's got to be much deeper. In fact, you can see people whose circumstances are really, really good and they're still not joyful. You can look at your own life. I can look at my life in times where, where everything really was going well, but maybe one thing. And that one thing overwhelmed me so much that I absolutely had no joy in my life. Because I'm basing joy on the circumstances rather than on that deep understanding of God's promises to me. See, Mary, if she would have looked forward as we saw this skit, did you realize you were kissing the face of God? Did you know that he would sacrifice himself? But she had joy in her son, Jesus, and yet her heart would be pierced by his death. The promise is that he came to be the Savior. The promise is that he came to bring life, and that's his promise for all of us today. He doesn't promise a, a rosy life, though. In fact, just the opposite is in this life, in this world, you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. In this world, you'll have tribulation. Anyone have any tribulation this month? Some of you had tribulation this morning. You wake up and, and things just don't, aren't going well. He says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Well, I could use some more overcoming today. Amen? Sometimes we feel, oh man, could I have overcoming today? And he says, put your hope fully in me. Let me be your joy. Let me be. Do you remember when you first called on the name of Jesus to be your Savior? Sit, sit, remember back for a moment. You have to close your eyes. Just think about the circumstance. Where were you? What was happening? Each of us, it's a little bit different. Remember that joy? Some of you had an experience that, that when you asked Christ to come into your life and forgive you of your sins, something changed. You had a joy. You had something inside of you, and you knew it was different. But the next day, you woke up, and all of your circumstances were the same, weren't they? Your circumstances didn't change, but you got out of bed with a different step because something had happened and you knew for the first time your Savior. You had a relationship with the one who was promising abundant life and healing and freedom. And, and a transaction happens inside of us when we call on the name of Jesus, when we trust Him to be our Savior. What happened to that? Do you ever ask yourself, what happened to that joy? You know, the psalm says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. We sing it as a song. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. I think, I need that joy again. See, I've allowed joy suckers to come into my life. <laughs> you know, and they just come in and all they want to do is they just want to suck your joy. Sometimes they come in little envelopes. 
Sometimes they are behind the wheel of the car in front of you. Unfortunately, sometimes they look just like your spouse. (laughs) Joy suckers. They come and they just want to suck out the joy in our life. And what we begin to do is we take our eyes off of our salvation and our Savior and eternal things and we get them back down onto our circumstances and situation. See, joy is not going to come if we're just looking at circumstances. I honestly don't think that the wealthy are super happy. In fact, those with extreme amounts of money are are always trying new things. Adrenaline rushes. They try to buy things. And they go through spouses like crazy. Why? Because there's no joy in it. See, joy is not, you would think that people who can buy just about anything would be joyful. Doesn't bring it. So what's the answer? See, the joy has got to be found in our, in our faith in what Christ has done in us and what he wants to do and his promise that he has come to bring eternal life. That he's come to give us life and life abundantly. And that doesn't mean, let's look at the timing. When we read the Bible, it's so important to remember the timing that it's written in. The The writing of this Bible was not in a time of wonderful prosperity in the church. So he came to give us life and life abundantly. What did that look like? He wasn't talking about parties and all this wonderful money and things like that because the disciples, many of them, were running for their lives. The apostles, all but one, were martyred for their faith. But he came to give us life and life abundantly. That's that life. That's that understanding of who he is inside of us that gives us a reason to get up each day. Because he loves us and he's got a plan not just for our lives, but he actually has a plan for your neighbor's life. And he wants you to be part of that plan. He wants you to bring the good news of salvation to your friends and to your neighbor. Because in Christ is joy, inexpressible. But many of us have allowed that joy and life to kind of ebb away. We need to press back into the Lord, not into silly things, but into just a life and relationship with Him. Go back to those moments that we we used to find so much joy singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And we went, wow, God loves me. We felt unlovable, which was good. Because we were. There's nothing in us that would cause God to want to love us, but he loved us anyways. When Herod orders the death of the innocents, They quote a scripture. Maybe it came out of Jeremiah 31. I'm looking for it. I'm not finding it now. So It says, great mourning and weeping. 
will come. But in the book of Jeremiah, that prophetic word ended with a hope. The hope was that the people would come back to God and He would be their people and He would restore them. Even in the midst of the crisis, the catastrophe of people getting slaughtered, Herod ordering the death of everyone under two years old. San Bernardino is on all of our, all of our TV still. Now the, out come the conspiracy theories. and You know, we know some of the people who died in there. Um, our good friend, Pastor Eric Glover, in Moreno Valley at, the, at Wellspring Church, he's been here numerous occasions with Joel Comiskey. The security guard who confronted the shooter just two hours before the shooting, he's a friend and he goes to their church. He was at the backside away from the initial shooting and when he came upon the scene, he witnessed three people get executed. How is there any joy? and sorrow for families, and fear. Pastor Jeff, Eric's, I don't know if you knew this, Pastor Jeff, but uh, Eric's wife is the property manager for, for the, and so she had to then go and assess the building after the, after the situation a couple of days, so she was walking down the halls. She actually had to wear a mask. Um, these things shouldn't happen but they do. And so where is joy? Our, the joy that we need isn't in, in circumstances. There's no joy in the death of anyone. Maybe the hundred-year-old who's just been waiting to go to see Jesus for, for all of her life, there could be a little bit of joy that they're released, but that's about it. So where is joy? Joy is found when we know Christ. And we know that this world is not offering us everything that there is. That This is just a tiny, tiny glimpse. The best the world has to offer is a tiny glimpse of heaven. And that Christ called us out of the world. He changed our lives and he wants to live inside of us and express himself through us to the world. And that's where our joy and our faith need to come. It should give us a reason to get up because those of us in this room who've called on Jesus to be our Savior, we know that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, that we've been, the Bible says we've been translated, we've been moved from one kingdom to the next, that we're not even of this world anymore, that our citizenship, the Bible says, is of heaven, and our lives should be above all different than those in this world. And that offer goes to your neighbors and your family members. And that joy that we experienced when we first came to Christ should be the same, it should give us the impetus to help other people find that same joy. The joy is going to only be found in Christ and His promise, even as the promise to Mary, the promise to the Magi, the promise to Israel was that this baby was going to become the king of Israel and set them free. Have you been set free this morning? You know, I've, I've been set free, but there's still things in my life that I need to be set free from. 
And that's the wonderful thing about salvation is he doesn't stop with our salvation. See, some people believe that God, God just kind of comes in and he does something and then he takes his hand off and he just lets us all squirm. But he actually wants to walk with us each and every day and brings us from glory to glory, from one step to the next where he says, okay, I want to I heal you of this now. I want to bring some new clarity in your life. I want to bring freedom into your life. And each day offers something new and incredible with the Lord. And that is what brings us joy. Which means joy is really up to us. It's up to us to receive what he wants to do in our lives. It's up to us to stand close to him and let him do the work in our life. It's up to us to get our eyes off of the circumstances and get them onto the king of kings and say, God, if it wasn't for you, there would be no hope. If it wasn't for him, we're seeing so much wars and rumors of wars and devastations and there'd be no hope but our art. Eyes need to be fixed upon him, the author and finisher of our faith. He wrote the book of your life. He wrote the first page and he wrote the last page. And it's already done. It's already written out. Wow, who calls me on a Sunday morning? Thanks, Gary. Sounds like mine. <laughs> Unless it's Shannon next door saying, saying help. <laughs> Okay, there could be problems next door. <laughs> Remember the first time I, I heard the little, it's just a, a little saying, but how are you doing? Well, not, not bad under the circumstances. Well, what are you doing under the circumstances? See, that's where Christ wants us to live above the circumstances. Physically, Mary still had a rough time. When she went back to her town, I don't know how people treated her. You, you still remember those past failings of people you know, and it's still in your mind. Do you think that her neighbors and friends remembered, oh, yeah, there's that Jesus kid. <sighs> yeah, we know how he came around. but her hope was in God, her Savior. That's where our hope has to be. And when we have that hope, then God begins to give us a joy. Who needs joy? Who needs some joy today? Let's stand. There's, there's a, a two-part thing that I think that needs to happen, and that, that we simply need to, to go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to help us to know his presence more, to have the joy. But then, like always, there's always this thing that God says, now, this is how I want you to walk. And I think he'd, he would call us to, to look to him quicker, to read his word and stand on the promises and get our eyes off of circumstances and onto him. Living a life of praise. Praising Him for all the things that He's done. Counting the blessings as the, as the hymn goes one by one. Helps us to realize that He's still involved in our life and He wants to do something. He wants to be part of a Christmas miracle in your life even as the story, the true story that we read today. Heavenly Father,
Father, we really need some joy. God, we need, a, we need to be reminded of your goodness in our life. God, we need to be reminded, I believe, that, that our life is not temporal, it's eternal. God, this world is not everything that there is. God, we really even need to be reminded that this world really has nothing to offer for me. God, our eyes need to be set upon you. But it's difficult, so we ask for help. We ask that you would come and remind us of who you are. Help us to be reminded as we would read the word and as we would write in journals, as we would sing songs of praise to you. Help us to have our eyes put upon you, God, and that, that as we would do that, I believe the joy will return to us, that this life is not all that there is, that there is so much more, and that, that you've already given us everything. God, I pray that there'd be a change in each of our lives, each of our hearts, each of our minds, and that you would begin to restore that life, an abundant life and joy that you want us to walk in. God, you've promised that you would give us peace that passes understanding. And I believe that's the same for the joy. A deep joy in you and your promises that we will be with you someday. And this whole thing that we know now will just be a distant memory because we'll be with you in your presence for all eternity. God, and I would pray for each one in this room this morning. You know the circumstances they're going through. I pray that you would walk with them. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself and give hope in every circumstance. And I pray that same prayer for me. I, I need hope and bring joy. Father, as we celebrate your birth this week, let it be a time of reflection and joy for who you are and what you've done and what you continue to want to do in our lives. As we love our family and our neighbors, God, we just thank you. Give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <coughs>